got some good news for you, and I got some bad news for you. So let's see a show of hands. Who likes to hear the good news first? Raise your hand. Okay. Who likes to hear the bad news first? Raise your hand. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how we're different in that? I guess, you know, it has something to do with personality. I always want the bad news first. I'm like, okay, go ahead and give me the bad news. Let's get over it and move on. I remember when I was pastoring a church in Lake Mary, uh, somebody came up to me and he said, Pastor, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And before I could say I want the bad news first, he goes, the good news is attendance is up. And I'm like, well, that is good news. He goes, you know, the bad news is you haven't been preaching last month. So <laughs> really what to do with, it, with that one. But uh, and, and during that time, I met some new people at our church and I introduced myself. And, and they said, oh, you're the drummer. I said, now that's the good news. I go, but I got some bad news. I'm also the lead pastor here. And uh, the best way I could describe the look on their face was utter confusion. It's like complete disillusionment. And, uh, you know, they never came back to the church. But, but if you think about it, uh, disillusionment is an issue in the church of G- Jesus Christ today. I mean, it really is. People have disillusionment when it comes to Christianity. And uh, here is one of the things that non-Christians have to say about the church. This was some research done by a guy named Tom S. Rayner. And this is one, one thing that kept coming up over and over again. They say Christians are against more things than they are for. I want that to sink in just a little bit. Outside of the church, people see us and they go, you know, you guys are against more things than you're for. And unfortunately, that's what we've become recognized for being an organization that's primarily against stuff. Uh, Why? That's what makes the news. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, when we're doing stuff for, you know, it doesn't get publicized. But, you know, yeah, when the crazies are holding up the signs, they want to show them and say, well, that's Christianity. And a lot of times we're just misrepresented. But as a whole, and if we're going to be honest and take responsibility for the church, uh, sometimes it's actually just true that we kind of get off track and we're against things. I just want to say, getting started today, that I'm sure you know this, that we should be an organization that is recognized not for being against things, but for being for things. I work this in almost every sermon because it's just great scripture. Uh, The great commandment. I call it, if you go to the Bible and it says the great commandment, you know, in the New Testament, I call it the lamest trap. Is what I call it because it really was. It was the lamest trap they ever set for Jesus. It goes this way, Matthew twenty two thirty four and 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, he's a Pharisee, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He knew Jesus didn't go to the same seminary he went to. So he figured he's not even going to know the simple answer. He didn't know that he had actually written the book. Uh, Jesus answers him and said to him, uh, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And he answered the question correctly. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Any good Pharisee would know the answer that that's the great commandment. But then Jesus, which is typical for him, 
went on. He said, this is the first and great commandment. And then he added to it. And he could because he was Jesus. He said, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 40, this is the thing that just hammers it home. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you want to know what the Bible, you know what God says, you know what all these prophets for all the time, you know, Moses leading, you know what it all bangs down to and boils down to? This, love God, love people. And you know, when you're interpreting Scripture, one of the things that you can use this text for is to make sure that you're interpreting properly. And one of the things that you could do is you could take this text and you go, okay, the way I'm interpreting this over there, is it going to help me love God more? And is it going to help me love my neighbor more? And if the answer is yes, it's going to help me love God and my neighbor more, then you're probably right on. But if the answer is no, then it fails the filter test of the great commandment. Or the lamest trap, what I call it. The best trap was when they brought the lady in adultery to Jesus. Now, that was brilliant what he said there. But, uh, but that is the, really the test, the litmus test for, you know, are we doing things the right way as the church? So, as a result of what Jesus said here, and that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, I want to see, say this. That the Christian church as an organization should be recognized as a group that is for two things, primarily. We are for, number one, somebody said it real loud. Loving God. There it is. We're for God. We're for loving God. And people should know that. How are they going to know that we're for loving God? It's the second thing we should be known for. Because if you love God, you're going to love people can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength without that changing you and leading you to a place where you're actually going to love people. The church should be known for loving God, loving people. Let me ask you a question. What types of people should the church be known for loving? All people. What if they're doing stuff that you don't agree with that the Bible says is wrong? Should you still love those people? Absolutely. All people. Everyone. You know, when Christians are against any people group, when we're attacking a people group, uh, I believe the hate in our heart is exposed. It really is. The evil in our heart is exposed and the church loses its power. Because you know what our power is in the church? Our power is love. You go, well, I thought our power was the Holy Spirit. Exactly. God is love, John described. And love is the most powerful force in all of the universe. You know, people will do all kinds of things when their motivation is hate. I mean, they'll do a lot when their motivation is hate. They'll go to wars, all kinds of things. But, you know, people will do anything when their motivation is love. Human trafficking, which is a problem in our world today. Are we against human trafficking? Yes, we're against human trafficking. Are we against human trafficking because we hate the traffickers? Why? Because we love the kids, right? Because we love the people that are being trafficked. So it's very easy to get a little messed up in where we're putting our emotion. And sometimes things get unclear. 
But we're against human trafficking because we love the kids. And we are what? We are the body of Christ. We're his hands. We're his feet. And the church is the vehicle through which Christ moves. And we always have to remember that. We're his hands. We're his feet. Feet. It, uh, feats. I'm very grammatical. Um, uh, and that's the thing we got to understand. There was a, there's a text, uh, I almost forgot what Paul said. He says, we are ambassadors of Christ. It is as though we are representing him. And that's exactly what we're doing. Jesus went back. He went back to be with the father and he said, greater things will you do than I. And we go, whoa, greater things will we do than you? And, of course, we're never going to be greater than Jesus. But what he was saying is, man, you guys with the time you're going to have, I had three years, you're going to have, I don't know how long, it's been 2,000. You're going to have all these people. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. You as an organization, numbers-wise, giving-wise, feeding-wise, healing-wise, you're going to do greater things than I. And he was right. And we have, when we get this whole thing right, and it's very simple, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, and try not to get off track and remember that. And I want you to know that you're the church, you're his hands and feet, you're the vehicle through which Christ moves. You are plan A for God to move and show his love in this world. And do you know what plan B is? There is no plan B. Look in the, it's, a, it's us, guys. And that doesn't mean we're always going to be perfect. Yeah, we're going to blow it. I blow it every day talking to my kids. But you know what? We come back. We say we're sorry. We look in the mirror. We take it to God. We go, I'm sorry. I blew it. And, you know, God redeems it. And he uses us again. And he allows us to love him. This beautiful relationship between man and God. And this beautiful relationship between man and man where we're loving God and we're loving others and he's using us and moving, moving through us. And that's what it's all about. And sometimes we get a little lost. But I want you to know that you are it. You're a part of it. I want to look at another text that John wrote, John 4, 7 through 12. And this is just beautiful. I'm not really going to take this apart, but I just want it to stand on its own. John 4, 7, 12. I just want these words to sink in. Just check this out. It's not hard to understand this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. The most beautiful description of who God is. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us. In other words, Christ came to this world. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live, watch this, through him. You want to know how to do the right thing? You want to know how to be the church? You got to be living through him. Because if you're living through anything else, it's not going to look good. It's not going to be what God desired. It's not going to be what anybody wants. It's going to get ugly. But it's through him that we live. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. It wasn't us that started it. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, doctrinal term, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I love that. His love is perfected in us. And watch this. And people see God when that happens. People see God when we love with a godly love. But somehow along the way, it happens over and over. The church just gets confused and they just lose their way. Then we start slamming different people groups. And then we become known for what we're against instead of known for what we're for. Well, if you've hung out with us any time, you've heard me preach about the who, what, when, and where in past sermons. Well, today, I want to take some time and look at the why and the how. Why the cross? Why Jesus? And how and why do we do this thing called love? Because if we're honest, life is tough, right? Following God can be confusing at times. Knowing what to do can be confusing, you know? I'm chasing after something my heart tells me I need, but there's times when I feel like I'm in this Tom Petty video, you know? Don't come around here no more, you know? Where it's just, I'm all confused. Okay, the, the rockers and surfers know what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, huh? Got to watch the video. But when I get confused and there are different things that are competing for my heart and my attention, which way do I go? What path do I take? Well, fortunately for us, there's this guy, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Romans. They title it Romans. And uh, this is perhaps the most influential letter ever written. Wars would be fought over the interpretation of Romans. People's lives would be dramatically changed over this book. And we are, in fact, gathered here this morning as a result of Martin Luther studying this book. You know the reason there's so many denominations today? It started with Romans. You know, and is it hard, this book, and interpreting? Well, I say it's not easy, but listen. God will empower you to follow through on your call if you'll ask him, if you'll submit to him in love, if you'll love him with all your heart and ask him to help you love your neighbor as yourself. If you quit trying to do the right thing in your own power and admit you don't have the power to accomplish this, you need his help. God, through the Holy Spirit, will empower you to do what he made you to do. And that's why so many people's lives have been flipped upside down by the book of Romans. And if you study it, you take it seriously, you'll never be the same. Well, this morning, I want to quickly preach through the entire book of Romans. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. I did that once. I think we did in, what, two years or something? It took me about two years to get through that. Now, seriously, I'm just going to do a quick overview. Don't get scared. You won't be here too long. Just a quick overview of Romans in order to reorient ourselves, the church, with the way. You know, that's what they used to call Christianity earlier, if you, if you read uh, Acts. They called it the way. There was this way that people lived. There was this way that people responded. And it all goes back to loving God and loving each other. But the book of Romans is a unique writing from Paul. And I'll tell you why. Because every other writing of Paul was in response to questions. Half the New Testament is the churches would ask Paul a bunch of questions. What should we do this? What should we do with this guy? What should we do here? And then Paul would answer the questions. And, you know, that would be, that's half the New Testament. Well, this book is unique because this isn't Paul answering any questions. This is Paul just 
just writing out everything he knows about God and life and Christianity in general. And as a result, Romans is the most amazing doctrinal treatise ever penned. Let me ask you this question. If you're a Christian, what if you had access to the most amazing theologian that ever walked the earth? Wouldn't that be an asset? I mean, what if you could say, hey, I want to meet with you, and you knew that on Monday morning you could meet with the most amazing theologian that ever lived. Wouldn't that be something amazing? Well, you can. Paul penned the whole book of Romans. You really can, and that's why we want to to go to the text and to go to the Scripture. There's never been, I would say, in my humble opinion, nor will there ever be a person that understands more about God and life than the Apostle Paul did. And Romans is his letter to humanity explaining the why, the how of this thing called Christianity. So today I just want to give us an overview so that we can approach life and we can um, just function as the church the way that God wants us to. And by the way, do you know why I'm the type of person who likes bad news first? Anybody got any idea? Because I'm biblical. No, seriously, I am. I'm biblical. And that's the way Paul did it. Paul had four main points in Romans, and I want, you, I want to look at them this morning, and I'd like for you to know them, maybe try to memorize them. And the first one comes from Romans. We're going to jump to chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and it's this text. Many of you have seen that if you've been in church uh, very long, and it's this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. It's very important. Do you know what this word all in the Greek language means? Yeah, everybody. Every single person. Do you know what this means? This means that every human being is in the same boat, except for Jesus, okay, because he didn't sin. But every other person, we're all in the same boat. The next time you're tempted, and we're all tempted to judge, we are. Next time you're tempted to judge a group of people, a people group, a person, remember, you're in the same boat with them. You've sinned, they've sinned. It's all the same. I'm not saying all sin's the same, and I don't have time to explain that. Maybe that's time uh, another week we could talk about how, yeah, sin's different. But when it comes to Our personal righteousness, all have sinned and falling short of the glory, the perfection of God. Every human that's ever lived. We're all on an equal playing field when it comes to God's economy. So how many of you have ever missed a flight? I'm going to get mad and just walk out of here. If I'm the only person here who's missed a flight, we got one in the back. Okay. Uh, I'll accept that. Yeah, missing a flight uh, stinks. It it really does. And, you know, it used to not be so bad pre-9-11. Flying was a little easier. Remember that? If you're old enough to remember that? Young people are like, huh? Yeah. But after 9-11, things just got weird. You know, you had to go through security. So anyway, I'm flying up north, and I was running late. And I was like, this is just not going to work. I'm just not going to make it. But I'm at the airport. I have all my bags packed. So you know what the heck? Give it a shot. And I get up to security, and guess what? It's just backed up. So I'm like, I'm going to miss the plane. So, But I'm there. You know what I mean? I'm there. So I figure, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. 
I'm going to see if these 300 people will let me all pass them. So I just made an announcement. Excuse me. I'm very late for my flight. I I hate to ask you this, but I'm just wondering. It's okay. Would you all let me pass you and go to the front? And do you know what they said? They said, yeah. I couldn't believe it. They're like, ah, let him go. A couple of them started cheering. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And right to the front. Bam. Right through security. Couldn't believe it. And then something happened to me. And I became transformed because I still had a long way to go. And I began running with my bags. I mean, and I'm starting to get more confidence. I'm like a superhero. And you know those, they're not escalators, but you know those walkways? I'm like running through there, lifting my bags over people, just gaining confidence with every step. And I'm like, man, I'm going to make this. And I go and I see my gate and I see the door is open and I'm like, I'm in. And I pull my ticket out with two fingers. And as I'm coming right up to hand my ticket, the door closed. But, you know, I mean, I saw it open and and I went to the lady. I go, ma'am. She goes, I'm sorry, sir. The door is closed. And I'm like, but I hear the people right behind the door. I mean, you know, and she goes, I'm sorry. I go, ma'am, you don't have to be sorry. You just have to open up the door. Let me right in. They're right there. It's not going to hurt anybody. I'm through security. So, sir, would you please have a seat? And this is right after 9-11 where you don't. Oh, by the way. You don't argue with airport people or you go to jail. It's just, it's just, I don't know. It's just a rule, a law out there. So anyway, you know, she said, have a seat. And we, once this flight is off, we'll help you, you know, re, you know, figure out how to get you where you're going. So I said, okay. And I'm sitting there, you know, fumbling with my phone, thinking, God, what a dummy. I should have just showed up early. And, you know, sure enough, about five minutes later, here comes some person running, you know what I mean? Running down. I'm looking at them like, they kind of look like I did a few minutes ago. And they come up, oh, oh, I'm just a few minutes late. Can you please open the door? You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, listen, I was here five minutes ago. They didn't open it for me. They're not going to open it for you. Same story. Guy had to take a seat. A few minutes more goes by. Lady comes running up. Ah, same story. Oh, please, 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 you know. No, you have to have a seat. So there's three of us sitting there. Three people miss their flight. Anyway, probably 30 minutes goes by. The plane's getting ready to take off. And this guy in business suit just comes up. I have to be on this plane. You know, and he's like, you've got to open that door. He's being very forceful. I'm, lady, I have to be on that plane. You don't understand where I have to. And I go, listen, dude. At that point, I become an airport employee. I'm like, listen, dude, I'm in here 30 minutes, and they didn't let me on. They're not letting you on. You know what I mean? And uh, so I, he settled down, and there's the four of us just sitting there. But because I was only like 15 seconds late, do you know who they allowed to be on that flight? No one. Nobody. And that's the way it is with this. It doesn't matter what type of sin. It doesn't matter what kind. It doesn't. God says, you guys are all on this group right over here. The ship's not sailing for you. You know, you're not perfect. You're not entering my kingdom. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And the reason that I want to point out that first main scripture in Romans is because we all have a tendency to judge. We all have a tendency to look down at people. Maybe the homeless people, you know, who you feed. I don't know what your thing is, but I know that in my heart, I have a tendency to look down at others and think they're not as good a Christian as me until I read it through this. And then I'm like, yeah, (laughs) we're all in the same boat. Every human being is in the same boat. It's an equal playing field. So I want you to know that and look at that. And then we're going to look at another text. It's from Romans 6, 23, which says this. Now we're all sinners. Okay. So now it tells us about the sin and the wages of sin. In other words, the uh, consequence of sin is death. And this word death literally in the Bible means separation from. When you sin, there's a separation from God. We're supposed to love God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. But there's also a separation from one another that we experience when we sin. The wages of sin is death. And it's just amazing how true this verse is and how you'll see it. And even in your own life, when you maybe got caught up in some type of a sin pattern, it led to pain. It led to sickness. It led to separation from God and others. And it always does because the wages of sin is death. How many of you know that there's a connection in your relationship with God and your relationship with others? When your relationship with God is at its best, your relationship with others is at its best as well. That's just the way that that thing works. When your relationship with God suffers, all your relationships suffer. And there are no secret sins. That's the lie that we tell ourselves, that we hear and we believe, is that, you know, I can do this all by myself, and it's not going to hurt Jim. You know, he lives in Daytona anyway. It's not going to hurt him. What I do is not going to hurt him. But the Bible teaches us that what I do, yeah, will hurt me. It'll hurt my wife. It'll hurt my relationship with my God. It'll hurt my relationship with every human being that I know. And so when you go out there and when you're doing that thing, don't think you're just doing it to yourself. You are doing it to yourself, but you're doing it to everybody who's connected to you because the wages of sin is death. It hurts all your relationships. You know, when Jesus asked what the greatest commandment was and he answered Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, why did he continue on and say the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself? Because they're connected. They're so interconnected, and he knew that. And Jesus said this. This is a beautiful, uh, I didn't include this on the screen, but John thirteen thirty five. Jesus said this. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. Doctrinal correctness. A few people are laughing. They're like, Jesus didn't say that. I mean, you'd think he'd said something like that. By this, people will know you're my disciples. Fervent prayer. No, it wasn't that either. What did he say? By this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. Love for one another. That that will be the thing that separates you from everybody else. Love, the love of God. When you sin against God, you sin against others. You sin against your kids. And remember, some of you hadn't been here when I've done previous series. But remember, the quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. When we did the relationship series, 
The quality of your relationships determines the quality of your, your life. It's not money. It's not power. It's not fame. It all goes back to relationships. When you have high-quality relationships, you have a high-quality life. When you have low-quality relationships, life suffers. And that's why it's so important to live your life with love for God and love for others and forgiveness and communication. Do you know why God hates sin? I, I remember being in a class, theology class, brilliant teacher, brilliant teacher. And the question came up, why does God hate sin? And the professor kind of chuckled and said, well, because God is holy, which is not incorrect. I mean, the answer was right, but I kind of challenged him. I said, you know, that's kind of shallow. He goes, well, what do you mean? I go, well, let's go a little deeper with that. Yes, God hates sin because he is holy, but let's go deeper. What are the real ramifications of that? And the class together, we came up with this, and I never forgot it. God hates sin. Here's why God hates sin. God hates sin because sin hurts his children. He's a loving father. He loves his children. Just like if you're a loving father, you see your kid do something that's destructive. You don't like that, do you? Don't do that. Don't play with knives. Don't play with the oven. Don't play with, you know, explosives. Don't do hard drugs. You know what I mean? No parent wants to see their kid become a heroin addict. Why? They hate heroin. Why? Because it hurts their children. God's the same way. He's a loving father. He hates sin only because sin hurts his children. It's not because he's some holier than thou pointing the finger down. He's a loving father that cares and wants us to grow and flourish in our relationships, in our life, and have meaning and change in our world. Does sin have an impact on God? A lot of people say, well, God's so other than, and he's so separated from sin. Sin does have an impact on God. It breaks his heart. Absolutely breaks his heart. He's tormented as he watches his kids die a slow death through sin. Paul's saying to this, hey man, don't do this, don't do that. That's why there's so many don't do this, don't do that in Romans. Because he doesn't want to see you have a slow, painful death as your relationships die. And of course, there can be no sin present in heaven because it wouldn't be heaven if there was pain. And so all of us have this terrible problem, all of sin fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so that's basically my sermon. Let's just pray and go home all depressed, all right? They're like, no, he's not going to do that. No. See, that's the bad news. And Paul lays the bad news down kind of first in Romans. But fortunately for us, the good comes. This is the third one, Romans 5, 8. I just want to pull out of this whole huge book and just point this one out. There's always a but God. When things get bad, when, when things are terrible in your life, there can always be a but God if you just go to God. And Romans 5, 8 says this, But God, after all this bad news, demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The amazing thing about that is that word love. I would think it would say, Mercy and justice, because I think all these theological terms. But it amazes me that he doesn't use mercy and justice. He goes, it's just love. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what blows me away? 
is this. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows what's today, yesterday, what's going to happen. This blows me away. God knew every stupid thing I was going to do in my life, and he still sent Jesus to die for me. It blows me away. God knew every dumb, boneheaded thing, evil, selfish, self-centered, angry, lustful, whatever it is. And you, God knew every boneheaded thing you were going to do. And you guess what? Did it stop him? No. Why? He's demonstrating his love, his incredible godly love. He knew everything we were going to do, and he still sent Jesus. It didn't matter. You know, I have an aunt who's a devout Christian. And when I first became a Christian, 1988, she looked at me and I knew she was right. She said, let me tell you something, son. If you were the only human being that had ever lived on the face of the earth, he still would have sent Jesus just for you. It's how important you are personally to God. And I would say that same thing to you. If you were the only person that had ever lived, he still would have sent Jesus just for you. Do you know how God spells love? It's not L-O-V-E, it's J-E-S-U-S. Do you know how long his love endures? His love endures forever. I got five kids, so we have an army at our house. I've got my mother-in-law and my dad there to help keep it all under control. But uh, my baby is now 18, driving all around Central Florida. You may see her one day, cut you off. But... um, (laughs) My baby, Anna, I remember when she was real little, this, and I'd say, Anna, i go, how much does Daddy love Anna? And she would go, so much, Daddy, this much. She would do that all the time. And, man, I, my heart would just well up. I loved that. I did that for as long as I could. And I have great memories of that. You know, some of you might not believe that God loves you. I mean, maybe no one ever has in an appropriate manner. But, you know, if you were to ask that question to Jesus, if you say, Jesus, how much do you love me? Do you know what he would say? He'd do the same thing my daughter did. He'd go, this much, so much. This is how much I love you. With nail-scarred hands and nail-scarred feet, he says, this is my love for you, my son and my daughter. This is how much I love you. You know, when things get tough and when Christianity gets confusing, go back to the love of God. Leverage that. Remember, remember the cross. Remember so much. This is how much I love you, my son and my daughter. That's how much God loves us. So in review, the bad news, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news, man. We're all in the same boat. And the wages of sin is death. Good things don't come from sin, only bad, until eventually we do die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's not because of any good we did, but because of how much he loves. And listen, you got to get the love of God. You know why? Because when you get the love of God, it changes everything. Self-esteem issues begin to evaporate. Arrogance and pride disappear. Self-pity is gone. It will just transform you. What else? 
Romans 10, 9, it's, it's the last one in Romans I'm going to share with you. Paul says this. It's a big one. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Two parts. And believe in your heart, second part, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with your mouth? Well, basically, it just means you're not embarrassed. Maybe a public prayer, you're not embarrassed because of that. It means your speech out there is the same as your speech in here. It means, you know, you're not afraid to witness or pray for somebody or invite somebody to church or to the beach for an outreach event. It means when people are making fun of Christianity in the break room and laughing, you don't laugh. You don't judge, but you don't laugh. You take a stand. And that's what confessing with your mouth, not being ashamed of Jesus. But how about the second part? Because the first part is if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord. And you believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean some logical decision. Okay, then I know that Isaiah prophesied this and it must have happened. So I can reason in my mind that Jesus was the Christ and he was raised for the dead. People do that and they're not saved. Here's the thing. When you believe something in your heart, it changes you. If you believe something in your heart, there will be a response and a behavioral change and an attitude change and everything would change. For instance, this bottle of water that I've got up here since I've been sick all week. If I believed in my heart that I could sell this bottle of water on eBay for 10 grand, do you think I would respond? I'd leave right now. Pray for him, Bill. I'm gone. I got to go hook this up on eBay. Absolutely. If I believe, when you believe something in your heart, you believe it to be true. You know it through and through. And if I believed in my heart that this would sell for 10 grand, you better believe I'm going to go. I'm going to put this on eBay. I'll probably grab that cooler on the way out. I'm going to put them all on eBay. Here's my point. When you believe something in your heart, it changes the way you behave. It changes the way you respond. It changes the way that you live. The response never earns your salvation. It's just evidence that you've received it. And when you've been loved that well, you'll be empowered to love others in an extreme way. Because that type of sacrifice that he made for us demands a response, not just a tip of the hat on Sunday morning. You know, I came to church on Sunday. I was only five minutes late for the plane. I don't want anyone to miss the plane. I don't know about you guys. But I'm going to close with this very difficult question. I know this church does a lot. I know you guys go out and serve. I know that you're the hands and feet of Jesus in many ways. So it's hard for me to challenge you guys. But I'm going to ask you this. Are you tipping your hat to Jesus? Or are you confessing and believing with all your heart? Because tipping your hat doesn't bring about change. But confession and belief in the depths of your heart will change everything. And Paul makes it crystal clear in the book of Romans that this is good news. This is very good news. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much that you did not leave us where we are, 
that, Lord, while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. You didn't wait for us to change, Lord. You came and gave us a way, a better way, the way you designed us for and what you designed us for. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. Help us to remember the depth of your love for us, what you did for each and every one of us, that you loved us so much. You wanted to make us different. You wanted to transform us. You wanted us to be conformed to your image. Greatness is what you seek from your people. But we can only be great through you, through Jesus. Help us to lean into you. Holy Spirit of God, convict us, Lord. Increase our capacity to love one another. Help us to love God with all our heart. And Lord, help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And God, I pray that we would not beat ourselves up when we blow it, but we would confess. Your word says you remove it as far as the east is from the west. We would confess and we would move on with you hand in hand. And God, we don't know exactly where you're leading us through this life. But Lord, we want you to lead us. We want you to show us. And Lord, we know that the day will come one day when we're gathered all together and you've made everything right again. And Lord, on that day, we will celebrate. Lord, we will feast. We will cheer because of what you have done. And we thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.